In association with Inappropriate Earl and the Sit Down Zumok podcast, we bring you the Bad Guys Volume 7, one of the most requested guests from from Andrew on my Patreon. He goes, I want Jim and Earl on the same podcast together, and he willed it. So, Earl, you do the intro. Well, uh, our co-host, or your co-host, is probably the only man on earth I've had an intelligent conversation with outside the comedy store about Mr. Vincent Cusano, otherwise known as Vinny Vincent. He's one of the great comics working right now, and even better than being a great comic, he's a great dude, which is a rare combo in this business of sex offenders, pedophiles, and roast battle comics. The great Jim Florentine. You know, we're going to have to figure out who was more of a drier delivery, me or Earl. <laughs> it's going to be a competition or at the next hour. It's the battle well, of I the dry voices. <laughs> I just woke up, so you know your voice is dry when you're drinking a Diet Coke to soothe it. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, I was never a big Vinnie Vincent fan. I was never a huge Kiss fan. I know he was in the band for a few albums, and he had a Vinnie Vincent invasion. And then he kind of disappeared, and there was all these rumors of crazy shit going on in his life. But then he did that interview with Eddie Trunk a couple of years ago, resurfaced for a little bit, but now he's back on the ground. I mean, I think he's primed for a Netflix documentary along the lines of Anvil just because of his history and music of uh, being in the Dan Hartman band, you know, who was the guy who sang that big 80s song, I Can Dream About You, uh, writing jingles for Joni and Chachi. Uh, being in Kiss, getting kicked out of Kiss three times, uh, being kicked out of the Vinnie Vincent invasion, which is insane to me. Uh, and then his wife, his first wife, prostitute, found decapitated, you know, you know, sending out a box set that I ordered that was completely empty when I got it. Uh, you know, there's a documentary with this guy. And now, like you said, rumors of possible sex change. I mean, if this guy doesn't get a show, I don't know who should. And, you know, he didn't get a lot of royalties from Kiss. Those albums weren't huge sellers. So it's not like he could just live off those royalties the rest of his life. So he kind of yeah, went like the same way Jakey Lee went. Jakey played a couple of albums at Ozzy, then had his own little band, Badlands, and then disappeared for 20 years. But that's another guy who uh, I'm obsessed with because he's so talented. And uh, I used to date him female manager from Motorhead and she worked for Sharon Osbourne she told me her first job was to go through all of Ozzy's pictures and cut out Jakey e. Lee uh, so he's kind of like the black dude in the Rolling Stones he's, just, he's there but he wasn't <laughs> yeah I know some who knows what went on but they you know they invited Jakey e. Lee to have his band play at the last uh, when Ozzy did that show at the forum on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago to play outside because he had some bands play outside. So they were trying to mend fences and then maybe come up and play Bark of the Moon. But Jakey e. Lee said the money was too low when he didn't want to do it. I mean, I saw him play at the Whiskey, uh, his, I guess you call it his comeback show a couple of years ago with the uh, Red Dragon Cartel, which is his second solo band. And uh, 
He was great. Of course, he looks a little green around the gills, to be honest with you. But the singer was horrible. He uh, that one Ozzy song, "Rock and Roll Rebel." He was singing "Rock and Roll Devil," and it's like, dude, come on, man. Yeah, you don't mess up <laughs> the like that. Gotta know the title of the song, bro. But uh, you know, he's just another recluse that you know the music industry uh, burned, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of sad because he's so talented. Jim, one yeah. of Earl's one of Earl's favorite bands is Rat. He's a big <laughs> Rat fan. Look, Rat. Um, you know they were arena band. They hit that top for a little bit. Then you know the whole grunge came in and kind of knocked them off the top. But though they. If you go back and listen to Rat, I mean, they got some great. If they have like a greatest hits, you'll know every song on there. And they're like great songs if they put like a 13, 14 greatest hits album out or whatever. So, no, they're, they were good, man. You know, they weren't, I mean, I guess they were a hair band, but to me, they were just like a really good hard rock band. I didn't, you know, I didn't really consider them like a poison or a warrant. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they had a nice run, you know. It, I think they were helped by uh, being really the first metal band, maybe outside of the crew that MTV embraced and uh, smart having Milton Berle in the videos. So you get a little uh, outside fan base of, I don't know this band, but that's Milton Berle. But they just seem almost album by album to drop a little bit. They weren't exactly the best looking group of guys outside of Robin Crosby. And, you know, that was with the Bon Jovi's and the Warrants and the Cinderella, the boys and the pretty boy bands. So, uh, but they had a nicer run than most bands and they still tour. Uh, you know, I, I think the problem with them is Martini, the guitar player, he's loaded. I think his wife is involved in the Mars Candy family. And so he doesn't want to go and play the Sturgis biker rally. He's like, I'll open up for... Bon Jovi, but whereas Piercy would play a backyard barbecue. Yeah. That's kind of like you with the Hollywood improv being a skakel. You don't have to do it. You're loaded. Well, I would play a backyard barbecue. <laughs> I have play played bar- backyard barbecues. <laughs> I'd play Jeff Ross's next pool party. <laughs> of course, I'd have to do an ID check, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey Earl, did you ever read Bobby Blotzer's uh, autobiography? It's it's great. I mean, it was a little uh, kind of woe is me, like yeah, I'm not. But you know, he was there, and um, I mean, he uh, him and Pierce, he never got along. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, I love how Florentine's making your voice more dry. <laughs> I know, Jesus. I feel like a porn star in a gangbang right now. Throat's wearing down. It must be that homeless soot in the air in Los Angeles. Oh my God. Voice. Shout out to Gavin Newsom for uh, <laughs> letting guys park themselves outside my house in three bedroom tents. It's out of control, Jim. I'm crazy. I might move Joey, in with Joey, Joey Diaz. Joey Diaz told me he had to get out of town when, he, when gangbangers were coming down the street. When his kid was playing in the front yard, it was always a safe neighborhood he moved into. So he was there for like 15 years. Like, I got to go. It's time. I mean, I'm not anti-homeless. You know, we all hit a rough stretch in life. But, you know, when I got guys taking doo-doos uh, where I walk my dogs and, like, I got to carry a 
broken hockey stick to defend myself. I, what is this, an extra scene in the Warriors? <laughs> Did, you ever mistake, Did you ever, by mistake, pick up the homeless shit instead of your dogs? <laughs> you well, well, when I had a German Shepherd, they took pretty equal-sized dumps. So, uh, <laughs> you know. But one time I gave, uh, it was so cold out here, and I know you guys are used to much colder weather than me, but uh, I saw this homeless guy shivering, and I gave him my roast battle sweatshirt and said, you take it. And then the next night, I walked by, and he's wiping his ass on Jeff Ross's name. I'm like, that's a bigger gift than the hoodie was to you, my friend. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> True story. I'm like, thank you, man. Let me go get you one of my Barbados leathers. Now, Florentine, Earl used to do a podcast with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. He was the co-host for a long time, and he has all these great Rowdy stories. But I think nobody in the history of wrestling has a better wrestling story than you. I think you have one of the best about how you used to collect wrestling pictures. Yeah, I mean, I've told the story a bunch of times. I got molested for my wrestling, to get wrestling pictures. It was worth it. I mean, <laughs> the guy gave me an Ivan Koloff picture with his belt he said this is going to be real rare one day because he only had it for like nine days and i believed them and i sat on his lap for it and then i looked it up on ebay recently it's only worth like nine cents so he lied to me that pedophile i can't believe it i trusted him does he uh post a show on comedy central <laughs> they just passed no, him at the laugh factory he's hiding in thailand right now i found him on a sex offenders website well, uh, get him into roast battle. He'll fit in with that group. <laughs> but Earl, if you, if you were 14 years old and this guy that takes wrestling pictures is in the front row, a photographer, and he offered you some pictures, wouldn't you sit on his lap? Or wouldn't you give him a kiss in the cheek? I mean, if it was a Nikita Koloff picture, I'd be uh, balls deep in him right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first, like he, he sold me on the Hulk Hogan bleeding. Like there was no pictures of him bleeding. And this was a rare one because he... He took the pictures in Baltimore, and that match wasn't televised. So, like, well, that's a kid worth a kiss on the cheek. But that's like how predators work, man. They find <laughs> something you want, and like, you know, here we go, kid. Now I want something, and you're like, ah, these Kamala ringworn shorts are pretty cool. Because <laughs> he used to call, you know, he used to travel, and and. The matches that weren't on TV, he said, hey, can I have your phone number? Because I'll call you and I'll tell you what happened at the match in Delaware or Baltimore or whatever. Then he would call me on the phone. I was like 14. And he'd be breathing real heavy when I was talking, asking about the match. I was like, did you just come in from a jog? <laughs> so heavy. I didn't know what was going on. Well, I mean, when you're that young, you know, you don't know about child molesting stuff. and That's why they pick you because you're naive and you know i mean i was me too by a casting director you know basically tried to get me to play with his balls on the fox lot I mean, <laughs> difference between you and me was uh, i was 34 I don't know what was going on i mean look if the guy's gonna give me the results of a superstar billy graham versus bob Backlund match the least i could do is let him jerk off to my voice it was at 14, it was starting to get deep like this. So it must have been a turn on for him. But that's back in the day. You know, I think I'm older than you. I'm 53. So, like, you, you did have to wait for the results in, like, either Pro Wrestling Illustrated or WWE Magazine. You had to literally wait a month to find out 
you know, did Abdullah the Butcher beat uh, Killer Brooks with Gary Hart in his corner, you know, in Georgia, you know, two months ago? So if you had a pipeline for early results, you know, you got to do what you got to do. That child molester was kind of innovative, though. Like he saw an angle. He's like, you know what? I could take these photos and get some young kid who wants the results. I mean, that was actually kind of innovative for a pedophile. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, and it, there were a dollar a picture at the time. So, you know, and that day when I was 14, that was a lot of money. And as a 14-year-old kid, that was, you know, I was a dishwasher making three, $3.35 an hour. I'm like, all right, you know, I could save a buck, a buck here, a buck there. And I still have the pictures. I still have them in, a, in the same scrapbook. Then it was worth it. It was. I mean, I, I show my son. I'm like... This is what dad did for these pictures. <laughs> well, how did it? I know you told the story on Diaz's podcast, but how did it end? Like, how did this all end with your brothers? Like, what was the exact ending? I forgot. Yeah, I just, you know, he, he stayed over our house <laughs> one time. And then I woke up in the morning and his hand down my pants. <laughs> and I, uh, I, what's that, Earl? You probably didn't even think it was wrong. Like, like you know you're a kid like i thought it was his i thought it was his finishing move <laughs> well i hope it was <laughs> i hate to see the follow-up move <laughs> i mean Ro rowdy's was the sleeper hold he should have used that one i know he could have put me to sleep and then did whatever he wanted to me at least i wouldn't have known no that was pat patterson's finishing move oh yeah he had a, a few finishing moves well I will say when I used to go to the, there was this really violent organization uh, in the mid 2000s called XPW. And it was, it was basically ECW with no budget and less planning. Uh, and they had a gay wrestler named Angel, who uh, I don't know if this guy was gay in real life, but if he wasn't, I would love to hire his acting coach because his finishing move was, you know, he'd hit you and instead of falling on your back to get pinned, you'd end up on all fours with your ass in the air and he'd come behind you and pump you three times and the ref would count you out. And, you know, <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, it's completely serious. I mean, Wait, but how was he pinned if he's on all fours? Well, I, I guess the, the, the theory was if he pumped you three times in the ass, that was the like guy gives up. the referee. Uh, but they had some wacky, they had a tag yeah. team called the West Side um, it starts with an N and it rhymes with bigger and they had merch like they had little kids running around with the guest side you know that word and uh, this couldn't have been televised right this this couldn't have been televised oh yeah it was on uh, I guess uh, not uh, public access basically in LA and then they got a little bigger because they started poaching ECW wrestlers. That's the match. Uh, that's the company where Vic Grimes got tased off the uh, scaffold by New Jack. <laughs> that was XPW. <laughs> well, look, Earl, and that, and that, uh, that gay guy, you know, if he's going to pump you three times on all fours, that's when if you're the opponent, you just tap out. <laughs> yeah. you don't have to be well, pinned you just tap out it's like the figure four leg lot you just got to tap yeah. out <laughs> yeah i'm like all right all right all right all right but they it was uh 
you know, I saw the Dark Side of the Ring episode they did on it. It, it didn't ca- capture the, the wildness. You had to be there live. I mean, they're, they're Howard Finkel, their ring announcer was a guy who dressed in a Nazi outfit and he would goose step to the ring going like that. I mean, it was wild. <laughs> That's great. But didn't your brothers beat the shit out of the child molester guy or something? Yeah, because after he, yeah, after he put his hand on my pants, I ran and he gave me a bunch of pictures not to tell anybody. So <laughs> I, I went through his photo album. I picked out like 20. And then as soon as I got the pictures, then I told my older brothers <laughs> and they wound up beating him up. And sending him back on a bus to New York City. Where he probably did it to another kid. Like, Oh, oh yeah. No, I went on Howard Stern originally and told this story. And I had like 20 different people around the country email me and say, was it this guy's name? He did the same thing to me. Yeah, all this stuff. So, I mean, that's how they operate. You know? I mean, it's like Pat Patterson went from the Brooklyn Brawler to trying Shawn Michaels and then Sid uh, Vicious has a funny story about they were somewhere and Pat Patterson was like massaging his back. And can you imagine trying to fuck Sid Vicious? Like he's like six nine. Is the type of guy who's pretty straight, <laughs> isn't down with that. So, but that's how aggressive they can be. Is Pat Patterson? I'm going to get this guy. Um, yeah, he worked for the WWE for a long time. He was Vince's right hand man. I think he still works for the WWE, right, Earl? No, he died recently, I think. Oh. I no, think he's still alive, I think. Oh, maybe he is. I thought maybe. But uh, no, he worked for him for a long time. But you're right, though. I mean, so many wrestlers die. You think, wow, how, how is Pat Patterson still alive at his age? I mean, you know, that's why Piper going to 61 was, like, actually kind of amazing. Oh, did you yeah. watch? Did you watch the the uh, WWE thing about Roddy Piper, Jim? The, the I don't know the A and E like biography. Oh thing? yes, yeah, yeah. I watched it. Was great. Yeah, that dude was a bare knuckle boxer, like bare knuckles. That's how he survived early on before wrestling. Well, he he, he was legit tough. I mean, anyone who's trained by Stu Hart in the dungeon, you, you're not just. You know, like the Ultimate Warrior was a bodybuilder. He was just fucking around doing wrestling. He didn't really care about it. You train with Stu Hart, you were tough. Yeah. No, that's when I got out of wrestling after Piper's Pit. After that, was I, I checked out for a while. Then my kid got back into it, so I got into it for a little. But now he's back out, and I'm back out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I mean, even... I will say- Give AEW a chance, Jim. No, I uh, believe me. If we watch it, we watch AEW. AEW blows away WWE. That guy uh, MJF, he's pretty funny. Yeah, no, they, I love. We will tune in every couple of Wednesday nights just to check it out, and it's it's great. It's way blows away WWE. I mean, WWE now they're like family friendly. Now they get rid of so many good. Just every other match. My, my son and his friends, eleven years old got into it, but there was every other match is a female match. He's like, all right, enough with the fucking girls. <laughs> yeah. You know, bring it back the like fabulous much- moolah. She had no ass, but she had great tits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely jacked it to fabulous moolah when I was 15, 16. Uh, she was, but even she was supposed to be kind of predatory with the women. Like, hey, yeah. if you want to play ball, you know, I mean, that's I think pro wrestling may be the only business that's more 
predatory than stand-up comedy. Like, and I'm being serious. Like, you know, if you need to elevate to the higher levels, you either have to, you know, suck someone's PP or do something uh, you're not comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, look, the guys are walking around in friggin', you know, tights, basically underwear, you know, and the girls are scantily clad, so some shit's gonna go down backstage. It's just the way it's gonna be. I mean, I, I, I mean, what you have to put up with. It's probably why they die at such an early age. They, they probably drink and do drugs to get their mind past what they have to do and, and people they have to deal with. I mean, that one segment on Raw, like 10 years ago, Vince McMahon called Booker T the N-word. Like, and he had to take it. Like, Well, did he deserve it? <laughs> no, I mean, it was just like, yeah. I, I mean... You know, he just had to sit there and smile because it's part of the written segment. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, well, one thing I, I I know for a fact, uh, you guys got a weird little connection. And um, Jim, <laughs> he, he used to be married, and uh, he had a wedding song. Who who who's, who who did your wedding song, Jim? Uh, it was a White Snake song. And oh, which, um, which one? Shit. Um, Slide it in. No, no, yeah, <laughs> easier said than done. It was off the Forevermore record. Oh, okay, that's great. And Earl was but, good friends with Tawny Katane, so there's your connection. Yeah. You got it, connections. Yeah, I never met Tawny, unfortunately. I know she would host some, like, metal festivals here and there. I just never got a chance to meet her. She would have loved you, man. Like, she was, uh, she was like a dude. Like, you know, she fucked a lot of dudes. Like, yeah. She, you know, she'd come up to the comedy store and, and she hooked up with a comic or two. I was not one of them. Uh, <laughs> but she oddly developed a crush on me because I was like the only guy not trying to fuck her out there. So it was like, really? But she was awesome, though. Just a tortured soul. Like, you know, we all know many in comedy and, you know, it's, uh, she's good peeps. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad, you know. But I know that she was, uh, you know, she would host East Metal Festival. I just never got a chance to meet her. Were you friends with yeah. Dave Coverdale, Jim? Um, I know him from the show. You know, he actually gave me a an acoustic, like, like a violin version of that song that they never released to for my wedding song. When I told him I was, it was going to be my wedding song, so he gave me an exclusive version of that song. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool because I told him I said, "Hey, will you?" Where you know, I. It was like a few months before the wedding, and I told him what the song was. He goes, oh, I got a version that's never been released. I'm going to send it to you. Use that. It's perfect. Did he give you a divorce song? Um, <laughs> no, he didn't. But um, I was trying to think of one if they, if they had one that might have been. But No, he was writing you one. Uh, it never got finished called All Women Are Whores. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah. He said, Especially uh, all of them. <laughs> What's the Earl? What's the landscape like out there now? I mean, I, I Jim's in Jersey with Joey Diaz. I'm down here in Florida. Like, what's the store like? What's the vibe? What's going on? I mean, uh, there's definitely less star power, I guess you'd say. I mean, when you look at you know who left, you know Rogan, uh, Joey, Theo, Tim Dillon, uh, and Seaburn. Uh, but the lineups are still strong. I mean, you know it. It's like wrestlers, you know, Hulk Hogan leaves, you put in the Ultimate Warrior. And hopefully he makes it work. Ultimate Warrior leaves, you put in Sid. And 
uh, I mean, every comic's replaceable. Uh, so uh, it, it's, I think uh, Emily at the store is doing a great job. I mean, given what she's had to work with. I mean, she walked into a 14 and two team, all the free agents left. So <laughs> yeah, they dismantled the comedy store like the Marlins in 1997 <laughs> after they won the World Series. Yeah, I mean, it was so, a fire uh, sale. Yeah, definitely different, but uh, it's still sold out every night. And, you know, I guess the stores like the Yankees, you know, it, it's always going to be the place and like the seller as well. Uh, but it's you're seeing a lot of comics get opportunities that they probably wouldn't if all those guys and girls were, you know, still here. And that's good. You know what I mean? It's good to bring the up and comers and stuff. People that get to it's it's tough to get those slots, you know, when. I used to come in and do Sam Tripoli's show on a Tuesday or Wednesday, man. Get off a plane and be on Murderer's Road at lineup. I'm like, holy shit. This is insane. Oh. So, you know, and there's no room for new guys when you have those those killers and guys that can bring people into the club at that time. So Oh yeah. I mean there were really getting a shot. There were lineups that I was on, of course, toward the end. <laughs> but uh, hey, it's you're on the lineup and I was like, I don't even think I should be on this lineup. Like, like Rogue and Marin. Uh, you know, Whitney uh, Cummings, not Eli Whitney. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all these, Ian Edwards, and you, and, and like, it was just like, wow, this is, I just hope I can, you know. Because at that point, when you go on toward the end, or like tonight I'm going on last, I don't know who's on the lineup, but, you know, they've heard every joke. They've heard every crowd work, you know, especially if Rick Ingram's on the show because he's like the king of crowd work. Uh, you got to like, you got one minute before they start looking at, okay, which exit do I leave out? So, but I like it, you know, it works out most nights and not, but you know, uh, it's kind of like being the last guy in a gangbang. You're just happy to be there, I guess. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't, you know, I, that's overrated. I got no part. Like if Chad was going to go in a gangbang, I think we talked about this. He needs to go first. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah. I got to go first or at least, at least second. I'd rather have warmed up a little. I don't. I don't care. Whatever. Whatever oh, spot you want to put me in the lineup. I mean, I'm. Gen this sounds like a full of shit answer, but I'm. I'm genuinely so uh, honored, or whatever the word is, to be up there that <laughs> I could care less when I go on. Uh, right. You know. Exactly. It's like they're making out the order. Like you're gonna go last. All right, I'll go last. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I can call Emily and say, "Hey, can I go on ahead of Sebastian?" Because. Uh, you know, my cartoon has been canceled for two years. It's back in rerun. Yeah, but I don't want to follow Sebastian. That's the thing. I'd rather go first, get it out of the way. <laughs> Are we talking comedy or, or gangbang? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting comedians in a gangbang. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's the time to follow guys like monsters and, you know, killers like Sebastian is at the comedy store on a Tuesday night. If you ever have to do a TV taping and get a follow some killer, you're going to be ready for it. You do it on a Tuesday at the comedy store when no one, you know, no one's there to watch or you're not going to, you're not exposed. So that's how you learn. But what if she's just like, I like that guy before you. Like, what are you doing here? This sucks. You're bombing. <laughs> are we talking about the gangbang? Or, or, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to merge see. them together. All right. No, I'm just saying that was, but, um, just go whatever play. Look, you, you know, I don't know. You don't have enough TV credits to pick what spot you want to go, Chad. So, <laughs> once you going fourth, you're going fourth. 
And then a lot of times at the store, and I don't know if like the sellers like this or other like the stand, like people are late because they're either filming something or whatever. And like I had to follow Joey one night on one of those murderers row type Tuesday nights because I think Rogan's podcast ran late and then Whitney didn't show up and Sebastian was filming something. And there's literally like six people before me, like either were late or canceled. So they're like, Earl, you're next. And Joey's killing. Like he is like, I don't think I've ever seen him bomb. Uh, and it's like a kiss concert in there. And then he gave me a very nice intro. And, you know, I did, I survived. I, you know, I didn't kill, but, you know, you got to be prepared, you know, at these places because, I'm sure New York's the same, you know, people are late or don't show up at all. Well, I, I told Jim the story. I don't ever, I told you Earl when I was living there and I was miserable and I hadn't gotten spots in two weeks and I went down to see Sarah Mello's show and I'm just in the green room and she's like, Hey, Bill Bird in a show. Do you want to go up? And I'm like, Oh, me for Bill Bird. Yeah, that's <laughs> so I had to go uh-huh. up and I, had to, I went on after your boy, Jeff Ross, and I had to bring up Diaz to close it out. I was shitting my pants sold out main store comedy room. I'm up there for 12 minutes. People are like, who the fuck is this guy? You could feel them going to the restroom. I mean, I pulled it out of my ass, but it was, it was definitely hard. It was, it was a, definitely a mental fuck. Earl, oh, don't yeah. think, Earl, don't you think the shows would go better if there was an MC to just kind of like calm down the room for a minute or two in between after a Joey Diaz kills and then he brings you right back up to reset the room? I mean, oh, uh, yeah, I think a problem with an MC at the comedy store specifically is I would say 80% of the comics run the light. Um, and so the shows run long anyway, like tonight, you know, I'm closing out the main room at 1030. So I'm guessing I'm going to go on at 1115. <laughs> really? So, that late? Wow. Uh, so I think the only problem with a host like Frazier Smith is like the best host in town, uh, along with Gary Cannon. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if they're known in the East Coast scene, but uh, they're like the perfect host. But I, I think it would extend the show too long. But uh, okay, yeah, like sense. the improv seems a little more like for whatever reason, people don't run the light there as much. But I think it's the comedy store has got like that rock and roll vibe. People kind of it's run a little looser than most clubs, which is why it has their, you know, I guess their ambiance of anything can happen, you know, yeah. So, when I, I've told Jim before, when I was living there and I was just at my just the the, the worst I've ever been mentally. If it mm-hmm. wasn't for Earl Brody for the short time I was living there, Eleanor and a few others, I would I would have like I don't know what I would have done. So they were always like the cool ones, always the cool ones to talk to. Oh yeah, I mean it's a good group. I talk a little trash about the LA scene, but it, it, it's a pretty good group of people. I mean the bad people are. I'm sure Jim can vouch for the New York scene. They're there too. And, you know, you just deal with it. I mean, the thing is you have to deal with it or you can quit and nobody will care. Yeah, exactly. Moving on to the next thing. Um, I said you guys were going to be on the show on Facebook and Twitter. So I took a question. If that's cool, would you guys answer a question from one of your no. fans? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer Jeff's questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this one's from Johnny Richtar. Richtar? I don't know. He says, uh, what is the greatest 80s hairband between Earl and Jim? I'll take your answer off the air, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what they do on Sports Talk Radio. Yeah, first time listener, long time caller. Uh, I'll let Jim go first. I don't know. That's tough. You know, <clears throat> that first Poison record is a classic. So, you know, the second one was good and they kind of went downhill after that. You know, I'm thinking like Poison, Warrant, like Firehouse, those kind of bands are more the hair bands, unlike like a Motley Crue or a Rat. Then you got Bon Jovi, you know, Bon Jovi's wrote some great songs too. I don't know. Then you got Kicks, you throw Kicks in the mix. Kicks is one of those underrated bands. And then Cinderella, who was considered a hair band, but they really weren't. They're more of a blues band. They got lumped into that too. I don't know, man. That's a tough one. If I if pound for pound, I'd go with Cinderella. Hmm. It's a strong pick. I mean, it I think it depends on what you consider a great band. Like if you're going like skill-wise, you know, dream theater, they're like virtuosos. Uh, but I can't name you one of their songs. I'd much rather listen to Warrant, Rat. Uh, Cinderella uh, Jim's right Cinderella's probably the best merging of talent looks, songs I mean uh, Bon Jovi uh, you know they had a lot of help from Desmond Child uh, and yes I'm a straight man who bought the Desmond Child box set it slaps I didn't know he had a box set out I knew he put a couple records out or at least one well, the best is his uh, song. It got a lot of play on MTV called Love on a Rooftop, where he has to make out with a girl. Uh, I think everyone knows he's gay, so he should have won an Oscar for that video. Um, his box set is amazing, especially if you're a metal fan, because he wrote basically all Aerosmith's hits uh, after their comeback, Kiss in the 80s, but every Bon Jovi hit, you know, uh, Cher, you know, the great Kane Roberts. Uh, Kane Roberts, but, former Alice Cooper guitar player. His uh, Saints and Sinners album, which came out in 91, is basically songs Desmond Child wrote for everyone else and they rejected. Really? <laughs> he got them all. <laughs> so, uh, but I would say Cinderella. You know, Striper, too, I like their first few records. Oh, yeah. They were big, and especially in the California uh, area. They were like, pretty epic uh you know they would throw bibles out in the crowd uh, yeah uh soldiers under command is a great record oh yeah they had they had a nice run i they never i think their their shtick was a little too hokey mainstream for the country but for california they were like a top selling band on the strip and uh i once met robert sweet the drummer backstage at events neil show and Backstage at events, Neil shows usually the kitchen of the venue. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm a comic. I'll try and be funny to this guy. And I walked up to him, I tapped him on the shoulder, and he turns around. I'm like, hey, man, I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I always wanted to fuck you until I found out you were a dude. Uh, he just looked at me like, get out of my face, man. <laughs> I bombed in front of Robert Sweet. But he was beautiful. Like, yeah, he was. He was a good Yeah, he he was like better looking at his brother Michael, and Michael's no slouch. Yeah, I mean, he, Michael's like a, a solid California seven. Yeah. But Robert Sweet was, he looked like Farrah Fawcett. Like, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> he didn't think I was funny, you know. <laughs> so you just bombed. Oh, I bombed hard in the kitchen. <laughs> of, uh, Plus, he's cursing in front of the drummer and striper. You probably, you know, they were trying to uphold that image. I mean, he had a great, yeah, yeah. I mean, I forgot, oh, this guy's a reborn Christian, and I, 
those guys, it wasn't a shtick with them. They really were reborn Christians. So I erred in judgment, Jim and Chad. I um I know Michael Sweet, so I've done some cruises and stuff like that. He's come to my comedy show, him and his wife. And before I went on, I'm like, hey, Michael, is it okay if I curse and tell some sex jokes? If you shut up, go do your thing. What, what, what you think I'm uptight about that? Like, I just bust his balls. I mean, he was probably an altar boy. He gets it. I got another question from Adam uh, Hughes says, and I know this is a troll. And actually, Earl and I were talking before you jumped on the Zoom because Earl was a big fan of your show with Eddie Trunk and Don Jameson. And I, and I know this guy's trolling because um, you get this question quite a bit. I, I think we want the answer. Ask Florentine if he ever thought about bringing that metal show back. Also, has he ever thought about bringing it to Netflix? <laughs> you know, it's weird. I never thought about like that Netflix has programming on there. And they might have put an old TV show on there and then maybe pick it up, bring it back. That's a great idea. I mean, fuck. I'm surprised Don Jameson already trunk didn't think about that either. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a great look. When I'm done with this, I'm gonna I'm gonna call Netflix myself and say, look, I was on this TV show that got canceled six years ago. You probably never heard of it unless you're a Dokken fan. <laughs> I don't have the rights to the show. I was just one of the hosts. I don't own it. I don't have anything like that. But I think that you guys should take it because usually actors do that. Like if an actor gets canceled on a TV show that they're on, a, I'm sure they could just go to the other networks and go, hey, can you pick up Friends? Yeah. I was, I was Joey on Friends. I was wondering if you want the show. Oh, do you own it, Joey? No, I don't know. No, I was just an actor. But <laughs> could you put it on? I'm sure. Isn't that how it works? I'm not. I, I don't know. Well, earlier, yeah. your cartoon was canceled. Did you call Cartoon Network? Yeah. I called, I called Tyler, the creator, and he was like, who are you? I'm like, uh, the dad <laughs> on your cartoon. Welcome to Hollywood, Earl. It's tough uh, once the like, network, when that metal show got canceled like six years ago, we had an agent actually go out to Hollywood and have meetings about bringing the show somewhere else. And nobody in Hollywood ever even heard of the show. Not one... TV person heard of the show. But I think it's, I'm not just saying this because you're, you know, we're talking like there's a market for it. It's small. It's a niche market, but like, it's kind of like hockey is a niche sport, but it's on networks because, you know, you just need one metal head who's an executive to, yeah. so yeah, I'd like to find out what Jakey Lee's up to. I mean, I watched that interview. It was great. Uh, you know, I want to hear Rudy Sarzo talk about the 50 bands he's been in. Um, I think he's in Grand Funk Railroad right now. That guy's I he, I, he's back in Quiet Riot. Yeah, he's back in Quiet Riot now. I have Quiet Riot. He was, he was in Blois to Cole for a while. Like, that was his project before that. Now he's back in Quiet Riot. But, like, if Anvil can get a Netflix documentary, I, I, there's no way that metal show shouldn't be on and with all the streaming networks now they need program like you just can't show commando and you know over the top on loop why that you would love that that's all you want to see <laughs> earl like uh, by the way um i know you're a big fan i just showed my 11 year old son rambo 2 the other night he fucking loved it i mean it, it, it's a good sequel but that first Rambo is is literally me, Jim, and L.A. comedy. So I I bond with it a little. I figured eleven year old there's more action in in two that right. he might like too. 
So let me start them off with two, and then I'll go back. I might go to three and then go to one. Well, three is the one they go to the Afghanistan, right? He's he's fighting for Afghanistan. That's why they don't really promote it. Yeah, so I, I don't want to start him off with one. It's like if you're gonna start metal like so get someone in the Metallica, start him off with Master of Puppets, right? And then maybe go to the black oh, start him with the black album, Master of Puppets. Don't start him off with Kill 'em All, because that's too heavy and might turn him off. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. No eleven year old is gonna see that first Rambo and go, Yeah, I wanna see the second one. <laughs> yeah, so I said, Let me get, you know, and he loves a Murdoch. I'm coming to get you. That's his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the story of, you know, like Rocky, no one wanted to make Rambo. They were like, dude, no one wants to see a movie about a Vietnam vet losing his mind. <laughs> so, like, Earl, just, do you ever hear that song? You know that uh, band Wednesday 13? Yeah. You ever hear his, that song Rambo that they wrote? No. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you look it up. It's Rambo. It's all about, you know, Rambo and stuff. He's a big Rambo fan. He used to come out on stage with like a machine gun. <laughs> like the song and shit it's funny but it's a good song i play it for my kid all the time he loves it <laughs> i mean stallone's a good actor when he well, what do you think you're a rambo expert what's the next one he should watch after i turn him on the rambo too what about the last one he just made where he goes and gets his kid it's almost like uh taken with uh what's his name uh the right. fucking liam neeson yeah it's like rambo's like taken now he's going to take care of business well, I mean, that's a tough one. 11 years old, I would say. Uh, not that I know what 11-year-olds want. By the way, this is an important podcast for all you parents out there, so please listen. Well, it, it's a generation <laughs> thing. Uh, uh, I thought The Last Rambo was horrible uh, because it was so unrealistic. Now, I know it's a movie, but like I know when I watch Predator, there's not an actual alien killing seven dudes in the jungle. But I, I still like the storyline, like wrestling, to be somewhat realistic. The fact that Stallone kills off a whole wing of the Colombian cartel by himself, like I just, I, I can't get behind. Like the first Rambo is believable. Like I could see this happening. Yeah. Uh, so, but an eleven-year-old would probably like the last Rambo because it's like that fast and furious type of violence. And nah, he's not really into that kind of stuff. So he's more, you know, he doesn't like the action kind of shit like that. I mean, I've even know Rambo too. But I think maybe like Rambo three. It's funny how he noticed when when he goes Murdoch, I'm coming to get, I'm coming after you. He's like, oh, dad, that's sort of like in Taken when Liam Neeson says, I'm going to find you and I will kill you. He goes, that's pretty similar. I'm like, that's cool that an 11 year old could pick up on that. Yeah, it's basically like, holy shit, that's the line. I mean, I like the first Taken. The second one was uh, all right. We get it. How many bad situations does this guy's family get into? Uh, the third one was better than the second one, Taken. I mean, I just saw the Liam Neeson ice trucker movie on. I think it's either Amazon or Netflix, and that that's cleansed my mind of any good work from Liam Neeson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was like this was like a script that Jeff Speakman would have passed on, and uh, you know that's great. The perfect weapon, which was his one shot at a movie, and he never got a second shot. I got an, one more question uh, on the Facebook. I, I put this out there, and Steve, because I said you were doing the podcast with Earl and I, um, I call it a swap cast. Jim calls it, uh, we're doing two separate podcasts. And <laughs> go ahead. No reason to call it that. If Earl wants to use it for his podcast and you use it for yours, that's all you have to say. No reason to say that dumb word. 
Nobody knows what it is. Anyone that listens to podcasts doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's inside <laughs> fucking, you know, that's like when, the, you know, people work at a restaurant talk about like fucking, yeah, we were slammed. We 86 that. They're like, what the fuck? You, I don't know what your fucking lingo is. <laughs> Be a fucking person. I don't know. I've never worked at a restaurant. But Earl and I, we come together like once a month and we do these podcasts. Okay, so yeah, Earl puts it on his feed and you put it on yours. We both release it. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't get the technical jargon. Like, you yeah. know, like Beyonce is 28. She tells me uh, the killers slap. I'm like, what the hell is that? Mean? Like, <laughs> are they, you know, when they, uh, we saw the killers with Weezer and, and the killers did like, I'd never seen them before. So I was like kind of, in awe of their production, almost like an eighties metal vibe with the showmanship and all that stuff. And they played a song called the man. And she's like, this song's a bop. You'll like it. I'm like, I don't know what a bop is. Like say it's a good song. Like, I don't know. Yeah. When you're dating a 20 year old, 28 year old, you got to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, repercussions or, you know, she's going to be like, Oh my God, you hear the new Drake song. No, <laughs> I didn't. Oh yeah. She's amazing. I mean, she tells me about Drake and I tell her about Brittany Fox. She's like, who are they? Guy at Cinderella, Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, tell, tell, when she gets home from work, tell her about the sleaze bees. <laughs> oh, my God. And then follow that up with a nice juicy cup of uh, bang tango. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve says he wants to ask Florentine, since he's doing a podcast with us, who's his favorite bad guy in movie and TV since we've had a, we've had on Vernon Wells. Who have we had on that's We've had uh, on everybody. Cobra, uh, Brian Thompson. And Jim's like our only comedian. No, no, I take that back. We had Robert Wool. Um, what the fuck was that movie? It was part two of... <laughs> you love part twos. The part... Uh, what's the movie where they sewed their assholes together? <laughs> uh, Roast Battle Season 2. <laughs> No, um, the, the centipede one centipede two. <laughs> that's the worst. That's the fucking best bad guy ever in film. I mean, I never saw it. So I'll take your oh, centipede two is phenomenal. <laughs> He's the creepiest fucking bad guy ever. The human centipede, human centipede two. Oh. That's that. That's my favorite bad guy. I think that was on channel J with uh, Al Goldstein host hosting. <laughs> This movie they looks. Ma they made a human centipede three, but it wasn't that good. One was pretty good. It set it up, but two is a masterpiece. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'm telling you, you watch that. No, but nobody creepier on camera than that guy. Not even well, Earl. I could think, think of a few comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, I know you're up against it. You got a hard out. Can I say that? What is that? That's no more fucking lingo that nobody knows what you're talking about. Nobody that has a regular job knows what fucking hard out means. We're not, like we're not in Hollywood. We're not in a fucking, you know, uh, Disney Studios trying to pitch a show. I, I got a hard out. Can, you, can I get five minutes? Earl, I know Jim so well. It's like the volleyball scene in Top Gun. I just set it up so Maverick can come in from the spike. No, this is like that scene in Boogie Nights when they're trying to get the Masters back and the old guy's like, that's a YP, not an MP. And like, what's YP, MP? I don't know this technical talk. <laughs> How about when um, the guy's 
wife, I forget who is it, uh, the guy's wife's getting fucked on the, on yeah. the way. And he's like, what kind of light should we use tomorrow? He's like, my, my wife's, could you just pay attention? Just let me know what light, my wife's getting fucked right over here. Hey, hey fuck it, it's just the production of the film. I mean, Jack wants a minimalist shit. Well, I like, you know, they had to film all the colonel scenes first because he was dying in real life. So uh, the director was such a fan of Robert Ridgely, who played the colonel, that they, you know, they had to. Uh, and if you watch that last scene where the black guy's beating him up in prison because he's a child molester. So we've come full circle on this podcast that, uh, you know, you can see he looks like he's dying. It's like, oh, wow, it's kind of creepy. The funniest scene for me in Boogie Nights is when Philip Seymour Hoffman tries to make out with Marky, Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> and he realized he didn't want him to when he's in the car. I'm such, a, I'm such an asshole. I'm such an asshole. And he's crying. I fucking, that's my one of my, the funniest scenes ever in a movie. That's when I, I knew Mark uh, Wahlberg was a good actor because he pretended like he didn't want to make out with him. I've seen that scene a thousand times with a comic giving a comedy store waitress a ride up the hill. <laughs> I think my favorite scene in Boogie Nights is I'm obsessed with it when the girl's OD'd in the bedroom and that really good looking guy is like, I think she OD'd. And the colonel's like, What do you think that means, doctor? Maybe she gets some new shit. Such a classic. I know Burt Reynolds hated that movie. Like he was pissed when he after he filmed it before it came out that it was like a porno and he was fucking trashing it and stuff. Yeah, I think he was like uh, they were fighting with the, the director constantly. And you know, you think about most of the actors on that set were pretty young. Burt Reynolds is probably pretty ornery at that that point of his life. Yeah. Really, now that yeah. scene with the, the little Asian kid with the firecrackers oh, the in the movie. With uh, the There's Night no Ranger song? For that scene. There's no reason for it, but it's fucking, it's amazing. He's like, don't worry about him. He's Asian. Yeah. <laughs> that was his yeah. excuse. And they keep flinching every time a firecracker goes off. So they're all coked up. <sighs> they just keep, so great. So I think the reason behind that scene was, and it kind of brings it back to metal talk, was in real life, that guy was Eddie Nash, who owned the Starwood which uh, Motley Crue got their start at when they were called London. Uh, Quiet Riot was the house band. And uh, that guy was the number one Coke dealer in the West Coast, but he was also gigantic in launching bands. Like, uh, the, the I didn't know that about him. Yeah, yeah, no. If you look up Eddie Nash and look up the Starwood, uh, you know, he, he gave uh, Van Halen their start, you know, in clubs. Uh, and that's where Kiss saw, or that's where Gene Simmons saw Van Halen play for the first time. And um, also he, he was associated with John Holmes, the porn star, and those four murders. Uh, so I think that's, because Boogie Nights is loosely based off of John Holmes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, it made Sister Christian famous in that scene. Night Ranger. I, I, I downloaded it right away. So I just saw them a month ago, still unbelievable live. Who was on drums? Was it Kelly Keegi? Yeah, he was back. He's back in the yeah. He's back. I know he had a heart heart attack or something. He was back. Brad Gillis on guitar, fucking phenomenal. Because I know when Kelly Keegi's sick or he can't make the gig, uh, Fred from Cinderella fills in. So it's kind of a oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, they're they don't get the credit for being as good as they are. You know, it's because no, that first Night Ranger record is great, and even the later stuff is good too. You know, it's it's it's. 
album friendly hard rock shit you know and if that's what you're into i like putting them on every once in a while oh i mean i still like the ozzy album it's the live album i think it's called speak of the devil because yeah. when you think of the pressure brad gillis was under to i think randy rhodes was dead maybe two weeks uh yeah they tried out the one beatnik uh bernie toppin or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah he was on he, he played like six shows or something like that and brad gillis took over but you know the reason they put that album out speak of the devil is because black sabbath at the time was putting a live album out with ronnie james dio so but sharon just to fuck sabbath goes we got to put a an album of sabbath covers out before their album release so they went to like <laughs> the ritz in new york city and did two shows in one day Rudy said they had 48 hours to learn those Sabbath songs and they recorded and put it out before Sabbath put their live album out. Fucking great. I love that shit. I mean, that just shows you how good Brad Gillis is that. Yeah. I think Sarzo at least had some knowledge of the Sabbath catalog. Like I'll assume Brad Gillis outside of paranoid <laughs> probably wasn't a gigantic. Yeah. Band. Yeah. Maybe he was, but like, and Tommy Ulrich on drums, fucking monster. He's still out there playing. He's amazing. It's, and he looks younger than he did back then. Yeah, I mean, he's got to really be friggin' 77, 78. I mean, what like a good-looking guy. Yeah, we'll end on that. Good-looking guy. Hey, Probably I want to promote this. This is Jim's special, Bite the Bullet. It's uh, debuting on your YouTube channel. Jim, when's it going to pop and come out and drop? Uh, December 13th. <laughs> Please don't say that. You're not a rapper. This is a 1996. <laughs> Nothing drops. I'm putting it out. <laughs> December 13th? December 13th, uh, youtube.com slash uh, Jim Florentine comedy. Okay, yeah, go subscribe to Jim's channel. And Earl, what about you? What's putting it out means? I don't get that lingo. <laughs> and, it, and you don't have, if you go to my YouTube channel, please, you don't have to smash the like button. Just hit it. I don't know who came up with that, but it's fucking stupid. I'm not going to plug anything, Chad, because I respect Jim so much. I no, won't. you can, you, no, plug, please, you know, plug, plug your YouTube channel so I could smash your like button. No, that's, uh, I'm at Earl Skakel on every platform, including TikTok and the Sex Offenders database. Uh, go buy Jim's album. You people listening. I it's a like special. A it's people. a special, actually. It's like an actual live performance. Jim's one of the greats in this business for many reasons. A good dude a good comic and trust me that ain't a combo that's likely mixed together in this business <laughs> comics are savages animals awful people jim's not one of them he's a good one i appreciate that man thanks coming from your own well i mean and you know who benny benson is i can't converse with most people in 2021 who don't know who he is i know the history of benny benson i know he lives in tennessee outside of nashville somewhere Allegedly, he might have killed some dogs. And Earl has a 28-year-old girlfriend. God bless him. He's her. hot, too. Listen. Uh, of know, course she is. Earl's not going to fucking, you know. I mean, come on, man. And not go for a hot. At 28, she's got to be hot. You're going to put up with that. You know, sure, when she was, uh, when I was 25, she was negative zero. It's not creepy <laughs> at all. No, you know. Right now I'm doing bits. That I'll probably get my own show on Comedy Central now. <laughs> So is Row Girl back, or should we tease it for next episode? Row Girl is back. Jim said I can plug one thing. I have a new show coming out. Uh, 
on the PAX network. It's uh, Toast Battle, where we feature overweight comics eating. Uh, the first uh, episode is Ralphie Mays Ashes against Bruce Bruce. <laughs> right now I'm doing bits. It's time to end it. Jim's got a hard out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For Earl Skakel, thanks again, Jim Florentine. Leave a five-star review on the iTunes. Good night, everybody. Thanks.